continue to praise him today in this place. Lord, we lift you up, God, this day of days, Lord, heading into Christmas, Father.
servant whom I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or even put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious and his name will be the hope of of the world. His name will be the hope of the world. Lord, we thank you that that is who you are. You are the hope of this world. And because we have you living inside of us as believers, Lord, we have the hope for this world. May we never forget it. Lord, we thank you for this time to worship your great name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. As the ushers come to serve us today, thank you for your continued generosity and giving. It really enables us as a church to do some incredible things here and abroad. And so let me pray a blessing over this, uh, this morning's offering. Lord, again, thank you for the privilege to give. It's an honor to remember that you own everything about us. Lord, it's an honor for us to give because it really does show and proclaim and say that God owns us. And I pray your blessing over it in Jesus' strong name. Amen. The oh. 
uh, thank you, worship team, for helping us as we celebrate the birth of our Savior today. Hey, we have a few announcements. Uh, the Christmas Eve service will be happening at 7 p.m. on Christmas Eve, which is this Friday. Uh, how many are planning on coming out to that? Raise your hand if you're planning on coming out. And if you're, if you're not, I'd ask you to reconsider. Come on out. Make, you know, work around some plans. Do what you have to do. That's going to be a great night. And it's going to be just an hour, so you can come, and then you can head over. If you need to head to somebody's house, you can still have time to do that. And then going in the order, um, uh, the youth we're going to be having, and, and this, I don't want to add any confusion here. This is a New Year event. It's not a New Year's Eve event because it's not on New Year's Eve. And so it's a New Year event on the 30th, which is a Thursday, $25 a person. This room will be transformed into a laser tag um, field. It's going to be great. And uh, we're going to be heading here, going to Sky Zone. We've got New Year's nachos, which are different than nachos from the other part of the year. Um, and uh, we've got a new air hockey table over there and different things going on. So, uh, and then we're going to end, end the night uh, with a really great time of worship and a message. So that's going to be the 30th. The sign-up is in the lobby there. Make sure you sign up because we need to get our final count. And then the final announcement, December 30th, which is that Friday night, a week from this Friday night, there'll be prayer. There's a sign-up for a day of prayer from 7 a.m., to 7 p.m., we're going to have prayer. So um, you can literally sign up, and, and uh, this is how it works. There are, it's half an hour chunks of time, and then the, um, uh, the, the, the list goes. So you can, if, if someone signed up for the time you want, just go to the right and just sign your name, and we can just fill it up. But this place is going to be a place of prayer that day on New Year's Eve day from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., and uh, that'll be happening here and, and really not too long. You have envelopes in your chair. Uh, I meant to mention this earlier. Please remember to hold those, and Pastor will be receiving uh, our second offering in just a moment. We have a video now. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Nothing was made without him. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. The whole world is made through him, except the world doesn't recognize him. But there are others who do believe in him. They run to him from the fields and journey from far away, carrying only hope and curiosity. They didn't know where the road would lead or what others would think of them. But they believe in his name. And to these, he gives the right to become children of God. The word became human and he made his home among us so we could see his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God made known to us, not on a throne of power, but in a cradle of peace. Emmanuel, God with us.
that's meant to be a reminder of what's going to happen Friday night. We're going to celebrate the birth of our Savior. There are invite cards out in the lobby. Please take these. Pop them in your purse or in your pocket and hand them out this week and invite somebody. I don't care if you know them or not. Just let them know that this would be a great place to celebrate the real reason for the season. Amen. Um, also, if you're visiting with us today, this is your first time here, second time here, would you fill out a Connect card on your way out at the lobby desk where everything's located today, the invite cards, and there's a tripod, by the way, that Pastor Hans had mentioned about the prayer day on December 31st during the daytime. You can sign up there. Uh, if you'll go to that lobby desk, turn this in. We've got some gifts we'd like you to take home with you today. Uh, also want to say thank you to everyone who helped us set up last weekend for our annual adult Christmas dinner. Thank you for those who helped set us up and decorate and those who helped clean up as well. Both of that, both, both things are a humongous job. Um, before we get to the Fire Bible offering uh, and before we get to, uh, to any other announcements, I want to share with you a video about prayer, which I hope will urge you to sign up if you're around, if you're in town and you're not out visiting somewhere, traveling through the, our nation, visiting family, cross country, we'd love for you to stop in sometime during that day and again, sign up for a time of prayer. Let's show that prayer video. Five letters, two syllables, can be understood in every language around the world. Jesus. Say it with me. Jesus. That's the focus of this year's week of prayer. Come on, I'm going to encourage you as churches, as followers of Christ, turn away. Turn away from all of the news. Turn away from the pandemic talk. Turn away from politics and turn your attention to a five-letter, two-syllable name that can change the direction of your life. Jesus. I'm delighted to be joined by uh, the author of the book, Awesome, and the founder of Every Home for Christ, Dick Eastman. Dick, why is it important to start a year out focusing on Jesus? Well, you know, I, what immediately comes to mind to me is a familiar verse of Scripture, Psalm 46:10, and be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the nations. And uh, when I came across the paraphrase of this in the Message Bible, it's very interesting. Uh, I think it's a challenge for us these days. It says, step out of the traffic, take a long loving look at me, your high God, above politics, above everything. And the, the, the author of the paraphrase, it was so interesting to me that he had to, he, he wanted to get politics in there because there's so much attention in the church drawn that way. And I think it's time we step out of the traffic and just take a long, hard, loving look at who Jesus really is. Join us this week as we explore the nature of Jesus. Amen. So that's a great way to start off December 31 during the day. Please sign up today so we know building will be open. The sanctuary will be open. There'll be some music playing, some uh, some dim lights just to come in and pray. Re, you know, really intercede for our nation. Because the word tells us that there is no other name. There is no other name given to men under heaven by which men must be saved. It's Jesus. And that's really, that's got to be our, th I want to say theme. That sounds so trivial. But that's got to be our guide for this new year. Democrat, Republican, that's not going to get you into heaven. 
They can't rescue us. Nobody can help us. There isn't one man on this earth who can help us. But Jesus Christ, the God-man, that's who we need to look to. Amen? And we need to lead others to him. And I believe the church is going to burst forth with a new sense of glory. Not our own glory, because he said he will not share his glory with another. But we will burst forth with a new sense of glory as we have more of Jesus in us and in the church in our nation. Amen. Praise God. Anyways, it's time for a special offering. Once a year at Christmas time, we receive uh, an offering for the Fire Bible to put it in the hands of national leaders, pastors around the world who really don't have. I mean, hey, I have met pastors. I've been in countries where they don't have but sections, portions of the Bible. Pastors, it's, it's insane. And I remember one time going to Bangladesh and going out to a small village, and there were boxes. These are empty boxes of the Fire Bible because they already had the entire Bible. And this Bible's unique because it has all the commentaries, Pentecostal commentary. It has a concordance. It has, uh, you know, the, the maps and Bible, from Bible times. It's all there. Literally one volume study guide for any pastor around the world in their own language. And so whatever you give today is going to help us to get more translations out and to get these Bibles distributed around the world. So let's pray for this offering, and then the ushers will come. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, Lord, to put the whole Word of God, the whole counsel of God in the hands of pastors who maybe have only seen portions of your Word. And yet they try to minister to their people. And I pray, Lord, in, in countries where the, where the translation is yet to be done, Lord, that it would be done rapidly and quickly, Lord. And God, that the funds would come in from churches all across America for this need, for the Fire Bible. Lord, I pray your blessing on these pastors who will receive in the year 2022. And I pray your blessing upon each one of us as we give today. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, this morning we have the pleasure of doing something that I think it's the best part of being a pastor. And that is dedicating a cute little girl to the Lord today in dedication. Her name is Abigail Jane Vazanelic. And I'd like for her and her mom and dad and any other friends or family members who would like to, to come now. Come right forward. And I see her coming in right now. They got word out. We're going to dedicate this little girl to the Lord this morning. How'd she do so far today? <laughs> She's wide awake. Wide awake. What am I doing here? All this fuss. Yeah, this is one of the one of the most blessed things that a pastor can do. I mean, you know, obviously there's some parts of the job and calling we do not like. But I remember dedicating you. Yeah? Okay. Well you can take over. Here's my notes. <laughs> And the, the reason that we, um, we don't baptize infants or children in this church, we dedicate them unto the Lord. And the reason we do is because in the New Testament, it's made clear that baptism is reserved for those who are aware of their sin, can repent. And then they are, symbolically, the sins are washed away. Of course, the water doesn't wash the sins away, but it's a public proclamation of faith. And a little one like this doesn't have a clue about sin yet. Though, I guess, between age one and two, they definitely learn about sin. They learn how to grab that toy that's not theirs. And they learn not... Well, they have to teach them how to share, right? You have to teach them all the good things, all the important things you learn in kindergarten. And so they're, they're not going to... They're not... They don't... They, they can't comprehend concepts of sin and repentance. And so... What we learn from the Old Testament is that parents should dedicate their children to the Lord. And that's from when Hannah had been barren for so long and had prayed for God to give her a child. And she promised to give that child over to the Lord for a lifetime of service. She was so grateful for God enabling her to have a child that she dedicated her new son, whom she named Samuel, to God. And here's what 1 Samuel chapter 1 says about that event. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you, praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord." For his whole life, he'll be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. And likewise, these parents before us today are also grateful for God's provision in their life. They brought their young daughter here today to be dedicated or given to the Lord. In a few moments, they're going to pledge to raise Abigail for God, to live as godly examples before her, to help her to develop spiritually and ultimately to honor the Lord all of her life. And I'd like for you to symbolically stand with them, not just yet, but to stand with them and to be supportive in helping to raise this child for God. Jesus warned us very pointedly that we ought not cause even a little one to stumble. And listen to what he said in Matthew 18, 6. Jesus said, but if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. We know that children were special to Jesus. Amen. I mean, the disciples tried to shoo them away. And he said, 
bring them to me. Bring them to me. And he placed his hands on them and he blessed them. And so I want to ask you now to stand with me. Stand with all of us right now. And we're going to join together in prayer for this little girl, for this family during this act of dedication. First, just a couple of questions for Daniel and Kristen. Inside of God. I was going to suggest that, you know, but now he doesn't want to do it. Let him stand on the altar rail. All right, it's going to be serious for a minute. In the sight of God and in the presence of these witnesses, do you solemnly promise to bring up this child in the fear and admonition of the Lord? If so, say, I do. I do. Do you promise to seek to lead her to accept Jesus Christ as her own Savior and Lord? If so, say, we do. Do you promise to live before her consistent and godly lives? If so, then say we do. We do. Okay. And based upon your profession faith, can I hold her? Yeah. Okay. Oh, my. I got her. Wow. You said she was a lightweight. I don't know. <laughs> She's been on some weight lately. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for little Abigail. And, Lord, I pray, God, that you would bless her that you would cause her simply to, to know you from the earliest days of her life, that she would love you, that she would desire to serve you, Lord, when she gets older, that she would come to you and repent and ask you to be her Savior, Lord, that you'd cause her to be born again and spirit-filled, again, serving you all of her life. And Lord, I give her back to her parents, and I pray you give them wisdom and touch them and bless them, Lord, in every way. Lord, give them a little more rest than they've been getting. <laughs> Lord, give them everything they need. You are Jehovah Jireh. You're the God who provides. And give them all the wisdom they need to raise her for you, for your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You may be seated. Uh, Daniel? Okay. Joey Vazanelic. <laughs> Honestly, you know, I don't mind when little ones make noise because I'm sitting up here. I know if they're sitting in front of you, it's a distraction, but I really don't. I don't mind that stuff. That's who they are. And um, what's amazing is I can, I can preach a whole sermon and not even know that they're out there talking. So, um, <laughs> but what a blessing to do that. Um, how how you all doing? Are you okay? I mean, I just, like last week, I really sensed exhaustion here, you know, and uh, maybe a little bit today. That's okay. Um, but I, I polled my young adults in life group today and asked, you know, has anybody finished their shopping, Christmas shopping, and who has more yet to do? And um, one person uh, hadn't started yet. Is anybody else, anybody here, have you not, who has not started yet? Okay, really? Oh, you're in the hospital. <laughs> you're out of jail now, you can do that. Um, where's Will Moncrief? Where is he? Is he, did, did he leave? Did he go to a fire? There he is. He's out there watching on the screen. Come here, Will. This is the guy. This is the guy. This guy here has not started shopping yet, okay? Now listen, just, you know, we're not going to let you speak or anything. Don't get too carried away. But he's the only person I knew until a minute ago. Michelle over here, you guys need to hook up this week. She's going to take you to the mall and get some gift cards 
Maybe one for your pastor. No, no, seriously. Don't get me anything. Don't get me anything. Don't get me anything. Make sure you're here Christmas Eve to hear my message because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reinforce that. That guy has not started. What is he thinking about? Now, the other, the other people that really irritate me are the ones who shop all year long. Oh, my Lord. You know, they're somewhere. And <clears throat> now, I could do that. I could do that. I could shop all year long. There's one store that I go to. There's only one store I go to. Costco. That's it. That's the only store I go to. Um, I, I, I mean, the mall, I don't go to the mall. I used to go to the mall because of the Apple store. I used to go to Macy's. I'd go in the side entrance. I am not walking through that mall. I go in the side entrance, men's department, come out. Haven't done that in over a year. Hallelujah. <laughs> so feeling good, feeling good. And I don't, I didn't have to do any Christmas shopping this year. I got married 43 years ago. So I don't, yeah, I don't have to go Christmas shopping. So I better leave it there. <clears throat> We're going to, let's look at the word of God. Okay. Joshua nine, that's safe. Joshua chapter nine this morning. And we're going to start out with the first 15 verses. Now, when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, that's the taking of the city of Jericho, the taking of the city of Ai. When all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, those in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the great sea as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, they came together to make war against Joshua and Israel. <clears throat> However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. The men put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. And then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, and they said to him and the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. And the men of Israel said to the Hivites, But perhaps you live near us. How then can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, who are you and where do you come from? And they answered, your servants have come from a very distant country. Liars. Okay. Because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we've heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan. Sion, king of Heshbon and Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtoreth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, take provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that we filled were new, but see how cracked they are. And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. The men of Israel sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. And so Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word, and I pray, Lord, that we would find application in our own lives. Lord, that we see how important it is to be led by you, be led by your spirit. And Lord, I pray now that your spirit would lead us through these verses and through your word. Help it to come alive to us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, in my previous message to you a couple weeks ago, I had mentioned to you one of the many names or titles that are given to Satan. And the one that I had applied to our previous study was that the Bible refers to him as the accuser of the brethren. That's where we were in Joshua chapter 5 and Joshua chapter 6. He is the accuser of the brethren, signifying, of course, that he's always ready to condemn and to accuse the people of God. And now this morning, we see him at work again, and we can see this time that he's utilizing another strategy that he, that he so often uses, which would cause us to use the label that the word gives him, and that is the father of all lies. These people, the Gibeonites, are lying to Joshua. They have lied to Joshua. And Satan is the master of deception. There is no truth in him. The Bible even goes so far as to tell us that he can appear, appear, appear as an angel of light, but he's not. And so with this in mind, I want you to understand that the Gibeonites, Satan is behind this ruse of the Gibeonites. He's the author of the deception that we just read about, and the Hebrews have fallen victim to this deception. Now, I also want you to understand the Old Testament forbade making treaties and covenants with other nations unless they live far away. And somehow the Gibeonites knew this. And that's why they pretended to be a people from far away. They didn't want to be totally annihilated as they had done to the people of Jericho and the city of Ai and as they would do to, to, to other groups, the Amorites, etc. The Gibeonites pretend to be from a distant land. Now, I want us to look at that instruction that the Hebrews were given in chapter 20 of Deuteronomy, verse 10. It says, when you march up to attack a city, make its people an offer of peace. If they accept and open their gates, all the people in it shall be subject, subject to forced labor and shall work for you. If they refuse to make peace and they engage you in battle, then lay siege to that city. When the Lord your God delivers it into your hand, put, it to, the, put to the sword all the men in it. As for the women, the children, the livestock, everything else in the city, you may take these as plunder for yourselves. And you may use the plunder the Lord your God gives you from your enemies. This is how you are to treat all the cities that are, that are at a distance from you and do not belong to the nations nearby. However, in the cities of the nations, the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. Do not leave anything alive that breathes. Okay, so the instruction is here. If they're from a distant country, you can make them subject to you. They belong to you. But if they're in the promised land that I'm going to give you, just as they crossed over the Jordan and they entered into the promised land, they took the very first city near the Jordan, the city of Jericho, and then plowed on to Ai. And as they're going to continue to conquer, he says, in these cities, do not leave anything alive that breathes. Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. We just read their names, these, these people groups. We read about them in Joshua. And it says, as the Lord commanded you. Verse 18, otherwise they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods, and you will sin against the Lord your God. So it's very clearly stated that the Hebrews were to annihilate the people living in the land that was promised to them, which they would inherit. And verse 18 tells us explicitly why they're to do this. It's to protect their own faith from corruption. Now, I've, known, I've said this before, but we as Christians should never make any kind of treaty or agreement with the devil. Now, that's, that, that may sound absurd, but I, I'll tell you what. What it means, what I mean by that is we should never compromise with Satan in the hopes of obtaining some peace in our lives. 
And, and again, it may, seem, it may sound absurd, but sometimes I have seen believers take an attitude where they maybe at least unwittingly, in, in essence, promise Satan, if you don't mess with me, I won't mess with you. In other words, what I'm, what I'm telling you, if we're going to take promised land, we need to take it. And as New Testament people, we don't annihilate anyone. We don't do what they were prescri- what was prescribed in the Old Testament. We get on our knees and we assault that kingdom of darkness. We tear down strongholds. We come against the authorities and the principalities and the powers of this evil world. Amen. And, and that's, what I'm, that's what I'm urging you to do on New Year's Eve day is just to come in during the daytime, not even going out. You can still have family time at night, but 7 a.m., 7 p.m., come in and pray, intercede for our nation. We've had nothing but two years of duress in this nation of ours between politics and, and, and media and all the everything. You know what I'm talking about. And we need to take the upper hand. It's easy to just sit back. You know what? If I, and because I'll tell you what, the minute you begin to go after Satan, he is going to come, he's going to turn around and come after you. And a lot of Christians just rather let, let a sleeping dog lie. Just let it go. Just let it, if I, if I just live my life and say, you know, I'm telling you, I want to, I want a group of people who are going to attack the strongholds of the enemy. And that begins a week from this Friday. And hopefully it begins doesn't end there, but begins there. You see, there are a number of problems with the strategy of compromise, of, of just leaving Satan alone. First of all, as I've already sta- stated, Satan is a liar. He's the father of all lies. And so if you, if you make a deal with him, I mean, not a formal deal, but you know what I'm talking about. You just kind of lay low and I'm going to tell you what, he'll never keep his end of the deal. You know, you may feel some relief. Maybe there's no opposition. There's no persecution. There's no hard times coming at you. They're going to come eventually. He'll only keep his hands off you for so long. Remember when he, when he came to God and said, hey, have you looked at Job? He's a, yeah, he's a good guy, but give him to me for a little while and I can turn him against you. That's what Satan. And even before that happened, God said, where you been? He said, oh, I've been roaming the, roaming the earth. Roaming the earth. He can't be everywhere at one time, but he can be in my house one day trying to mess with me. And he can be at your house the next day messing with you. And so I don't know his schedule. I don't know how, what kind of rotation he uses. But none of us are exempt from those hard times that I believe are brought on by the enemy. Secondly, here's the other fallacy. I mean, there cannot ever be peace. There will never be peace between God's children and Satan and his followers. Never. The Bible, as far back as Genesis 3.15, the Bible states, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. And even Jesus made it clear that the world, essentially the prince of this world and his disciples, will forever hate those who follow Christ. Jesus said, they'll hate you because they hated me. And here's 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 16. Another reason you shouldn't ever even, even unwittingly compromise with the enemy. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? 
For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. And so you see, I believe the only way to a lasting peace is through total uncompromised conquest. And we can read about that in the book of Revelation. This is beautiful. Let's look at Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. It says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen. White and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and generals and mighty men of horses and their riders and the flesh of all people, free and slaves, small and great. And then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. And then in chapter 20, we see Satan put away for a thousand years. And then after a brief release, he's finally for all time consigned to the lake of fire. Jesus Christ is the great conqueror of everything that would stand against us. And understand this, understand this. Again, he is, he is the king of kings and Lord of lords. There is no one more sovereign than our God and our Savior. He is the conqueror of everything. But understand this, that although Satan is defeated, as of today, he is yet to be destroyed. We just read that he will be destroyed. In other words, we, because he isn't destroyed, we still have battles to fight. And we have to stand up against our enemy. We have to engage him. We have to exist with an understanding that there will always be conflict until what we read in Revelation takes place. We need to remember that the battles are not always flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And what about the fourth chapter of James, where it asks, what causes fights and quarrels among you? You see, Satan, as an angel of light, desires to elude detection. And he certainly did that in Joshua chapter 9, as we read. And while he's cloaked, coming back to today, present day, contemporary application, while the enemy is cloaked, you know what? He would attempt to put husband and wife at odds with one another. Or maybe two, two Christian business partners or especially church folks and believers. He has a way, he has a method for stirring up Christians and dividing them. Getting them to fight each other. And then once he gets the thing going, you know what? He just sits back and relaxes and enjoys the show. Really. Well, all he's got to do is get it started. We take over. 
Now, at the same time, we are promised peace from the Prince of Peace. And it is a supernatural peace. Amen? It is a peace that transcends, surpasses all understanding. But I do want to to remind you that the Christian life is a big battle. And it seems as though if we're not being drawn into conflict or work, or maybe in, our, in the community we can find ourselves in some other kind of struggle. We, we, maybe we found a, a place of peace in our, in our marriage. And then you know what? Then Satan starts messing with the kids. And then you know, maybe he'll mess up your, help you mess up your finances or some other area of your life. It's like, again, he's limited. He is not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. But he'll target an area. And then when we rebuke him, We bind him. We make him powerless. Then he goes on to someone else or some other area. And again, now please understand, I don't want to sound like I'm advocating that we accept a form, a Christian form of Murphy's Law. You remember Murphy's Law? If something bad is going to happen, it's always going to happen at the worst possible moment. Okay, I'm not advocating that. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm just looking at reality that no Christian escapes an assault from the enemy. No Christian. What I'm trying to convey to you is that if you live for God, if you really live for God, not only should you expect his blessing, but also expect an onslaught of hatred from the pit of hell. Because Satan is so jealous. He's so jealous of everything we have. Boy, he blew it. I mean, he blew it when he rebelled against God. And, he, and that can't be changed. There is no repentance for him. He had everything. He had everything. And his jealousy made him go for what was not his. And as we fight against the enemy, again, remember that we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but unseen powers. And you'll see this as we follow Joshua and the Israelites. We're going to go back to that passage in a moment. As they, you can see it all through the book of Joshua as they begin to take more and more of the promised land. See, as believers, we live with a common misconception. This, I mean, this is how it is, okay? God made a promise to you, individually, personally, and sometimes we feel all we got to do is just sit back and he'll bring it to me. It's not always that way. Sometimes, in fact, I think the truth is the opposite. I want to suggest to you that we oftentimes have to fight to obtain the promise. I mean, if you think about it, these Hebrews... God promised them the land. They prom- he promised them the land. But they still had to go fight. Now with Jericho, all they had to do was march around, blow trumpets, and yell. But in Ai, they had to actually go in and fight. And as we'll see in, in weeks to come, as they conquered more and more of the promised land, they had to physically be involved. It wasn't just God. God gave them the victory. He assured them of the victory, but they still had to be involved. It was a partnership. It was coming together. Real flesh and blood battles. But pro- God does promise to give them the land. And what's interesting, too, there's, there's an interesting chapter in Genesis, Genesis 15, that tells us that they wouldn't take the land until the evil of the people in the land had intensified. Now, that's it's like, wow, really? But, you, know, you know, before I get that promise, I've got to go through some really hard times to get there. I've got to really fight. 
And I want us to look at this. This is Genesis chapter 15. And in this chapter, God has made a covenant with Abraham. He's promised to make him the father of many nations. He's promised him numerous descendants. And he promised him the land that Joshua is now entering. But Genesis 15, 16 tells him that his people will not return to this region, not even to the edge of the promised land, until the sin of the Amorites has reached its full measure. That is very, very interesting. And I interpret that to mean that sometimes you and I are going to have to go through tremendous struggles, unbelievable opposition, before we actually take possession of that which God has promised to us. Again, God is going to provide it. And in my own experience, in my past, it really does seem as though sometimes all hell has to break out against me before I receive the promise of God. And, and the way I fight is not with flesh and blood. Again, it's not. It, it's, it's with spiritual. It's a spiritual warfare which requires spiritual weapons. The Apostle James put it this way concerning the struggles that we face. He said, do not be surprised by the trial you now face. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. He's telling New Testament believers. Don't be surprised by difficult challenges. Better yet, Acts 14.22. Listen to this. Listen, Acts 14.22. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So knowing all this, how, how can we make sure that we fare better than the Old Testament Hebrews that we looked at this morning? How can we avoid being deceived by the enemy? How can we obtain victory without compromise? Look at Joshua chapter 9 verse 14 again. It says, the men of Israel sampled the possessions, the provisions of the Gibeonites. They sampled them. Yeah, the bread was old, sandals worn. But they did not inquire of the Lord. That's the problem. Again, they considered. They appraised. They judged. But in the flesh... It states specifically that they, it doesn't say they appraised wrongly. It says ultimately they failed because they did not inquire of the Lord. Now last week in my message, I emphasized to you the importance of the righteous blood of Christ, the importance of his word. I promise you this morning that I would add to this our need for the Holy Spirit. And this is precisely where he comes into play. You see, it's easy to be deceived in the flesh. And because of this, we need to learn to benefit by trusting in the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. He will lead us and guide us into all truth. If we rely only upon our own resources, only upon what we know, we're going to be severely lacking. Because I know, I know the one true God who knows all things. He knows everything. He knows the beginning from the end. We're going to be at a disadvantage unless we tap into that. Now, I want us to look at the New Testament and see the benefits of being in association with the Holy Spirit. This is John 15, verse 18, 19, and then 26 and 27. It says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Jesus is speaking. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. 
As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Now, verse 26 and 27. When the counselor comes, when the comforter comes, the paraclete, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So just look at the truth in these verses. We have an enemy. He incites people to hate us. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he will give, he will give us the power to go out and testify about God. And we know that that's already happened in the book of Acts. This actually played out in the lives of the disciples. Remember following the crucifixion of Jesus. The disciples were intimidated. They were fearful. They would gather in hiding. They had, it was a locked room that they were in. And then one day, the day of Pentecost, a tremendous transformation took place in their lives. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit on that day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit made a tremendous difference in their lives. Before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they were full of fear due to the flesh. When the Holy Spirit came upon them, then they went public and thousands, we read, thousands are saved in one day. That's the difference that the Holy Spirit makes. Again, as you heard from our general superintendent in that video clip, Doug Clay, we need Jesus in 2022. We needed him last year too, but we may not have realized how much we needed him. We need him in 2022. And we need the Spirit of Christ, who is the Holy Spirit, to be with us at all times. He is our weapon against the intimidation of the enemy. Let's look at John 16, verse 1 through 11. Jesus said, all this I've told you, so you will not go astray. You know, going off in some weird direction. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when the time comes, you'll remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Now I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks, where are you going? And because I've said these things, you're filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he'll convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, will you'll see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Now, these verses remind us that there are some things that we'll never accomplish in the flesh. We've got to understand that. And a lot of churches in our country have been doing things in the flesh. And the fruit is not going to last. You know, one of the, one of the th interesting things that Jesus, remember Nicodemus? G Nicodemus came to him at night. He was, he was afraid as well. Somebody's going to see me talking to Jesus. And one thing that Jesus said, he said, you have to be born again. And he didn't, he didn't get that concept. You've got to be born again. You've got to be born from above. And Nicodemus said, well, you know, how can, how can a man, once he's born, go through the process again? And ultimately, Jesus says, you know what? Flesh gives birth to flesh. But spirit gives birth to spirit. And I'll tell you what, I think that passage out of John chapter 3 is prophetic for the church today, right now. Because what the church has been doing for too many years, we've been trying to birth things in our own strength. And we need to let the Holy Spirit birth them. 
I believe we're going to head into that era. I, I, believe, I really believe we're going to head into that. We're going to see him do it. We need to get out of the way a little bit. Yes, we need to be involved, but we, we're not to take the lead. He is to take the lead. And these verses remind us that we will never accomplish much for God in the flesh. And verses 8 through 11 made it clear that only the Holy Spirit has the power to convince and convert, excuse me, convince, convict, and convert the human heart. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Our job is to testify. Our job is to tell. Our job is to speak. He's the one who does the saving. Let's look at the next two verses of John 16, verse 12 and 13. I have much more to say to you, Jesus said, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. And here's one of the more, most practical purposes for having the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need him to lead us. We need him to guide us into all truth. Joshua and his men had leaned on their own understanding. They had tried to discern with their temporal, physical resources. They tried to discern in the flesh whether the Gibeonites were telling them the truth. And they were deceived. And according to this verse, the Holy Spirit will lead us not into deception, but into truth. And so I want to encourage you to become increasingly comfortable with the concept of following and trusting the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life, individually. A couple more verses before we close. According to Romans 8, 26, there's no better way to pray than with the assistance and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Let me read this to you. It's Romans 8, 26. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. You want to pray God's will? Use that heavenly language that you received when you became filled with the Holy Spirit. Another passage right along with that, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 through 11. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit... The message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. Notice that one of these is the ability to discern spirits. And there are even two other knowledge gifts that were mentioned. The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge. And I really believe that that trio is exactly what we need. This is what we're to use against the deception of the enemy. So I want to summarize this way. First off, again, and not to dwell on this point, but the Christian life includes battles. So if you're going through something, don't, don't feel like it's strange. Don't feel like it's unusual. Uh, opposition, struggles, trials, they're going to come your way. Secondly, realize that our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but our weapons are divine for the tearing down of strongholds. We have spiritual weapons in order to fight a spiritual foe. And finally, knowing all this, 
We have the Holy Spirit as our helper, as our comforter, our paraclete, one called alongside to help. And his job, trust me, is that he will help us to receive total and unmitigated victory. Again, historically, there are times when the church was horrendously oppressed. But every time, it blossomed out of that. So I'm not worried about whatever the church has to go through. I'm not concerned what I have to go through individually or you either. Because ultimately, we're talking unmitigated victory. Because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And his spirit resides within us. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I pray, Lord, right now. Lord, they're obviously they're in, a, in a crowd this size, there has to be someone who's going through something. Lord, there are some who have recently gone through something and you brought them through. We see it time and again. But Lord, I pray right now that you, Lord, would come against the deception of the enemy. That he has deceived the church in various ways, especially over the last couple of years. Creating divisiveness, putting people at odds with one another. Lord, your word says that the world, the world, people outside this church and outside the church will know that we are your disciples by our love one for another. And as they've observed divisiveness, as they, as they, have, deserved, as they have noticed and, and observed dissension, not love, we've lost our testimony. And Lord, I pray, God, that it would be regained because you desire a harvest. Your desire is that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's your will, Lord. We pray your will today. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would guide us and lead us into all truth. You will give us the victory. You will fulfill your promises. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. And let me urge you during this holiday period, you know, there's so much to do and there's so many gatherings and events. And, and I think this year we fared better than sometimes in the past. We haven't been as sidetracked. But we need to take the opportunity of this season to invite people to Jesus Christ. To invite them to come to a, a church service with us. Maybe even a Christmas Eve service. Lord, how I pray that you'd help us to be sensitive to your leading. Help us, Lord, to be sensitive to the guiding of your Holy Spirit, to be ready, to be prepared. So when you nudge us, we will we'll give testimony about you. Lord, open, open us up, Lord, to those that are, are open to you. And Father, I pray now again, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to be prepared, especially during this week, as we head towards Christmas Eve, that we'd be ready to invite someone to salvation. Invite them to church. Lord, to help them find what we found. That's your desire. And we pray that now in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray now your blessing upon each one of us. Lord, continue to watch over us. Keep us safe. Lord, those that are, that are ill this morning with COVID on any level, Lord, in our church, Lord, I pray you bring healing to their bodies, bring strength to their bodies. Encourage them, Lord. And God, that this scourge of COVID would end. And Father, now again, I pray your blessing in our lives. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. God bless you.